there is darkness within all of us. It is what we do with that darkness that shapes us. Some have louder darkness than others. They cannot resist its siren call. How far would you go to answer the loudest darkness? And how then would you decide who should suffer at the will of your shrouded grasp? With his long, sharp nails, he opened a vein in his breast. When the blood began to spurt out, he took my hands in one of his, holding them tight, and with the other seized my neck and pressed my mouth to the wound so that I must either suffocate or swallow some of the... Oh my God. My God. What have I done? I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. We would be dead. second about doing a dracula voice but ooh, <laughs> how how would that have sound sounded we would be dead i can't do it i don't know <laughs> i don't know i think you just did it did i i think you just killed it <laughs> should we redo it <laughs> no we should leave it right where it is okay because <laughs> right. it's a special treat cool Hi, Leslie. <laughs> What's up, Polly? <laughs> Hello there, fiends. This has been a rather eventful week over here at We Would Be Dead. Yeah. First off, Leslie revamped our logo, and I love it so much I can barely stand it. Mm, I'm glad you like it. So good job to you. I Thank want you. it on like every. I want it on t-shirts and spooky totes and my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um. Second, we are on a journey over on our Facebook group right now. <laughs> if you guys are not part of our Facebook group, please hop over there and check out the feed about, quote, um, strange phone numbers appearing on the ground in New Jersey. Oh, my goodness. Your heart will stop when you first read it. Yeah, you're going to, like, <laughs> pee your pants real quick. Yeah. Online puzzle solvers. This is a dream come true for any of you. The, um, it's like somebody's random social media and it's posting sites where people are finding like strange phone numbers on the ground in New Jersey. And if you call the number listed on these like little red scraps of paper, you get like this really creepy message asking you to text the answer to a question to that number, which the question is true crime based. So I'm not ruining this for anybody in case you want to go on this journey yourself because it is really fun. Um, and the answer is true crime based. So my encyclopedic knowledge finally came in handy. <laughs> and through an 
amazing amount of sleuthing on the part of our fellow fiends. We have solved a series of puzzles so far, taking us through several different online platforms, including YouTube, Google Street Views, and eventually the Instagram account of a young girl named Jamie, who appears to have been captured by a mysterious figure named Edward. We have decoded numerous secret messages, and eventually several of us have spoken directly with this Edward person via Instagram Messenger. Edward has given us over here at We Would Be Dead direct permission to get his message out to you, our dear listeners. Edward claims that he has killed before, and if we do not solve his puzzles, Jamie will meet her maker. So fiends, come join in the hunt to find Jamie in our very own New Jersey backyard. This has been like saving our boring-ass quarantine lives right now. (laughs) (laughs) I know you guys have really... Really done a great job sleuthing. It, and then it's, you got to really get into it. Like you got to get into like web coding and all Mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. Like a bunch of the people over on our Facebook group have been really, really killing it. Um, Yeah. And it's extremely involved. Now it appears to be linked. Don't pee your pants too much. It appears to be linked to the launch of an online escape room experience. And holy hell, if this is any indication of what it will be like, we are here for it. Whatever they're selling, we're buying it. Eventual links will be provided via the Facebook group. Do this thing, you guys. Seriously do it. It is so smart. It takes a lot to actually scare me because all I do is read about terrible murderers. And this like kept me up at night one night, the first night. Yeah. Even if you know it's like a fun thing where you're solving puzzles, which who knows? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's going to be a terrifying true thing. Um. But either way, like just the effort and the spooky voices and the video and stuff is is so creepy that like it got into my soul. <laughs> so um, we're going to follow up next week on where this ride has taken us. And um, we're talking about possibly doing a little bit of bonus content on this adventure because really like so many of our listeners... <laughs> went nuts on it (laughs) and if i know if you're out there listening dear edward we are eagerly awaiting your next message our fiends are your fiends oh that's spooky isn't it spooky spooky (laughs) but we love spooky so we're on board uh and please uh, everybody tell your friends. The more of us there are, the more fun we can have. Don't forget to join us uh, for Campfire Stories every Friday at 10. They're great, and so are you. Also, big announcement this week. We are on Patreon! Woo! Yay! That's right. If you like what you hear over here, please hop on over to Patreon to support us with a little monthly donation. Um, and I believe it's would be dead pod at Patreon. Is that it? I think so. Yes. We'll provide a link. We have already. We'll do it again. Um, And of course, if you scratch our back, we'll scratch yours with some extra content, Zoom meetups, behind the scenes, peaks and little gifts in the mail, which we have been talking about. Um, And who doesn't love mail? I love love mail. Me too. When you get something in the mail, you're like, oh, it's like Christmas. Especially right now. I know. Mail is bringing us back to life. Um, This makes us feel super legit and I love it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So this week, for the first time, we're going to toast our Patreon supporters at the end of our story. Um, you guys are amazing, and you earned a spot in our toast and in yes. our hearts. Meh. Oh. <laughs> Meh. Les- maybe Leslie's heart. Mine, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that was supposed to be a sweeter meh. Meh. Oh, I thought you were like, maybe. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Work harder, okay? Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I'll I'll do better next time on my sounds. I don't know, I liked it. (laughs) 
we literally just decided to break this case into two parts as well because it's huge. It's really bigger than we anticipated. And we have a lot of really great um, information to bring you. So we're going to bring you the first half tonight. And then I, I you won't have to wait a full week for, week for the second half, right? We're going to try and do it. Yeah, we'll do this one. Uh, we'll release it sooner because we didn't know we were going to break it up into two. So Right. And we're all so bored right now. Have some extra love. Yeah. And we have we already have what we want to do uh, for our next podcast because that's our half a ween episode, isn't it? Yes. Half a ween mm-hmm. is next time. I am oh God, I'm gonna I know I'm gonna not sleep for like days. <laughs> <laughs> the Scared to Death podcast uh, put out an episode on like gray, scary aliens and that book communion today and I couldn't listen to it. It's a great podcast. I couldn't listen to it, but if you like that <laughs> shit, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely going to hit that one up, but uh, yeah, I'm really excited to scare you. So, Oh man, you're going to win that <laughs> week. I know it. You're going to be like, cool, cool, cool. Now let me make you die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. So this week's case is gruesome. And we warned you that we were covering a cannibal, a man nicknamed Dracula by nurses at a mental health facility and the vampire of Sacramento by the press. And he lives up to his titles. This story contains the most graphic material we have covered to date. Yes, Richard Trenton Chase was a monster, but he was also a very sick man. So listen with an open mind. While there is no defending the atrocities we are about to cover, there are certainly some possible explanations. And we will be discussing his mental health issues and the warning signs he exhibited at length, mostly in the uh, second part of this uh, story. We'll really go into a lot of the meat of that part of it. Um, And we will endeavor to be as thorough as possible. I had the extreme pleasure of chatting with um, my friend, actual real-life psychologist, Andrew Jarima. Hi, Andrew. Um, About Richard Trenton Chase and his illness and the way the legal system determines quote, insanity. And I think you will love all of the insight he provided. I'm going to give a lot of that in tomorrow's second part, but a little bit tonight. Um, Our chat was so illuminating that we will be trying to do um, an interview with Andrew about all this stuff as bonus content for our Patreon supporters. So if you want to hear that, get over there and donate so you have access. It's extremely interesting stuff. Lastly, um, we implore you to stay away from snacks while you're listening to this one. Oh, because yeah, (laughs) it's a real stomach turner. (laughs) You can have your snacks, Leslie. You already know. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm going to keep my snacks, (laughs) my wine snacks. We love a wine snack. (laughs) Is that a kind of apple? Oh, no, that's wine sap. (laughs) Never mind. Here we go. Richard Trenton Chase, which is such a fancy name. It is, yeah. Doesn't it Very feel like he's prestigious? He yeah, he should be like a secret agent or something. Mm, yeah, he's not. He's not. No, no. Spoiler alert! <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> was born on May twenty third, nineteen fifty, to Richard Senior and Beatrice Chase. And, and let's talk a little bit about nineteen fifty, so we can have like a little bit of possible happiness before we get into the yuck. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, the fifties were a. To me, that was like the quintessential American family. Mm-hmm. They, you know, you had a mom and dad. Um, most couples, even if they weren't happy, they stayed married. Um, the average family size was actually a little smaller now from earlier in the century. Um, really? But that's where you get that like three, three and a half, 
you know, normally it's like two parents, two kids kind mm-hmm. of kind of life. Um, but these people had half a baby. Gross. Yes, the half a babies. <laughs> <laughs> um, women were expected to stay at home and not work. So they were going to be housewives. If they did need to make money somehow, they were normally daycare workers um, or, you know, they ran a daycare. Like from um, their home? Exactly. Yep. Okay. Babysat a lot. Um, refriger- I thought this was interesting because I don't really think about it, but refrigerators were a luxury item at the time still. So uh, most of the families would have to, probably Richard's family, they, they probably went to the store every day to buy their food to keep it fresh. Oh, like the milk ban came because you yep. couldn't keep milk. Yep, exactly. That's so cute. I wish that would come back. Yep. Um, and the after effects of the Second World War were still going on. So for instance, many goods were still being rationed in the early 1950s and sugar was rationed until the, until 1953 and meat only came off a ration a year later. Interesting. So, I did not know mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So that was 1950s in a all right. nutshell. No, that's that's all actually really rele- like relevant information. So as I said, Richard Trenton Chase was born to Richard Sr. and Beatrice Chase. Richard Jr., who also went by Rick, um, well, was welcomed into the family by his then four-year-old sister, Pamela. And um, that's all you're ever going to hear about Pamela again. Hmm. She like doesn't enter into any of the stories, but she's there. Chase was said to have a normal by 1950s standards childhood, which you so thoughtfully just laid out for us. His parents argued a lot and used to force used force to discipline the children, but it was reported at the time that this was not uncommon. Forensic psychologist Dr. Helen Morrison claims that his father may have been stern, but that in that point in time was the role of the father. In her opinion, his um quote, abuse did not stand out as unusual or particularly harsh. And this feels like a little cavalier on the part of Dr. Morrison, but she's a doctor and I'm not, so I will trust that she had good reason for saying this. Though many other psychologists, including our friend that we spoke to this week, suspect that Chase's abuse was far greater than had been reported. So basically it was like common to hit your kids when they were bad back then? Yeah. So if he was like, my dad hits me, people would be like, "Uh uh-huh, all dads hit everyone. Bye. Yeah, exactly. Which isn't great, but it's true. And it can be argued that um, his abuse is kind of evident in the fact that by 10 years old, young Richard exhibited all three factors in the McDonald triad. What is the McDonald triad, you say? I'm glad you asked. The McDonald triad is a set of three factors that has been suggested if you have all three or a combination of any of them are present. They are um, said to be predictive of or associated with later life violent tendencies, particularly with relation to serial offenses. The trial triad, sorry, was first proposed by psychiatrist J.M. McDonald in, quote, The Threat to Kill, which is a paper published in 1963 in the American Journal of Psychiatry. Small-scale studies conducted by psychiatrists Daniel Hellman and Nathan Blackman, and then FBI agents John E. Douglas and Robert R. Ressler, who um, I'll talk about in a second, along with Dr. Ann Burgess, claimed that substantial evidence for the association of these childhood patterns with later predatory behavior. So they're big red flags. Robert Ressler was, of course, the detective who coined the phrase serial killer in 1980. Uh, Mindhunter is based on him, the TV show. So he is the first person that profiled serial killers. He's also an amazing genius who we should cover in a Patreon episode for sure. He's so interesting. 
Um, and so what are these factors? Well, I'll tell you. The McDonald triad is composed of three behaviors, cruelty to animals, obsessive fire setting, and persistent bedwetting past a certain age. These behaviors act as red flags. One of them is eyebrow raise, raising, but if you have all three, it's pretty damning. And Richard Chase had all three of them. Uh, and we're going to come into contact with the McDonald triad time and time again. It is associated so frequently with serial killers. Well, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so by 10 years old, Richard was compulsively starting fires around his neighborhood and could be seen torturing and killing cats. Now, a lot of children will briefly exhibit an interest in hurting animals, but um, like you see like typically it would be kids like burning ants with a magnifying glass or something. I did that. Yeah, and you're not a crazy killer that we know <laughs> <No>. of. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but most kids, what will happen is they'll hurt something, not thinking it has consequences, see that it, the thing is hurt, feel horribly guilty about it, and not do it anymore. That describes me. <laughs> See, you're nor totally normal behavior. There you go. Um, but the thing with Richard Chase is that he didn't feel any of that guilt. And he just went to hurting bigger animals and hurting more severely and kept taking their lives. He was fascinated by this behavior and just kept doing it. Some sources report that by 12 years old, and this would be in 1962, his mother found his behavior to be so unmanageable that she took him to a psychiatrist who suggested that he could be dealing with mental illness but saw no reason to treat him. So cool, cool, cool. Cat murder is fine. No worries. Yeah. They do it in China all the time. Just Get out of here. <laughs> it's just weird here. Stop it. Just kidding. Keep my kitties safe. <laughs> We're going to see this theme with Richard Chase time and time again. There's so many professionals that are like, he probably has problems. And they're like, yeah, 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 he's fine. No good. By 1964, Richard would begin attending Mira Loma High School. His grades were average to poor, but he managed to put on like a semi-normal human face in his day-to-day -day life. And he actually made some friends. And Richard's uh, brand new big boy friends were kind enough to introduce him to drugs. Lots and lots of drugs. Uh, Richard specifically liked uh, marijuana and LSD. So he did heaps of both of them. His drug use was rampant, but it was the 60s and a lot of teens were experimenting. The war on drugs had not yet begun and no one was aware of the staggering mental illness Richard was coping with. And this is a dangerous cocktail, which we will get into later. But when you compound drugs like that with mm -hmm. certain mental illness, it, it does catastrophic things. Right. Richard's first arrest came in 1965 in his sophomore year of high school, and it was for marijuana possession. He was just given a slap on the wrist and moved on with his life. By now, Richard had also discovered girls. He didn't, like, discover them. Like, oh, no one has ever seen a girl before. But, you know, he, he liked wasn't them. the first. <laughs> he was the first man to discover a girl. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Noteworthy. Uh, Richard was actually rather handsome at this phase in his life uh, before time and his own mind got to him. And he probably had little to no trouble attracting girls. He had several girlfriends, but quickly dissolved a big problem. As it turns out, Richard Trenton Chase was unable to get an erection. Wah, wah. Big problem. Mm-hmm. Or little problem, depending on what we're dealing with. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> he was attracted to these girls and he wanted to have sex with them. He just couldn't do it. 
And this bothered Richard night and day. And he figured out what the problem was. So he figured it out. What was it? (laughs) Can't wait to tell you. Science class told him that in order to get an erection, his penis would need to become engorged with blood. So the problem was clearly that he didn't have enough blood. Oh. Right? Yeah. When you don't I see have where enough, this is going. <laughs> uh-huh. When you don't have enough blood, the only logical thing to do is eat some blood, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That ought to do it. Richard spent quite some time thinking about this notion over and over while just consuming large amounts of psychedelic drugs. Things were not going super well for old Rick. I have never heard someone named Richard go by Rick. Have you? No, I thought that was weird as well. But it's true. That's like, I mean, he was a junior, so I would get having a nickname, but yeah, I didn't know like Rick was one of them. Well, in 1968, Richard obtained one high school diploma and zero erections. So he sought out the help of another psychiatrist. This one suggested that his erectile dysfunction was caused by repressed anger, which is like such a late 60s psych thing to say. Like, oh, you have to uncover your anger. Deal with it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But you know what? I suppose it could have been true. There's a lot about Richard's early childhood that we don't know anything about. We only know that he had this sort of typical family and like his dad hit hit him some. Yeah, and he and we know that his parents didn't really get along. Right? So there could have been a lot of anger going on there. Mm-hmm. The doctor also suggested that Richard was probably dealing with some serious um, other mental illnesses, but he didn't prescribe medication or commitment or further treatment, and so Richard just went on with his life completely unchecked. This is what kills me about the story because he actually does go to see people. He time sees. and time again, he goes to see so many medical professionals and none of them say like, okay, mm-hmm. you have a dangerous amount of mental illness. Right. Well, actually it does happen at one point in time for a little bit, but we'll get, we'll get back to that. But like nobody takes the appropriate action. And we'll talk about that in the second part because I have a lot of information regarding why those things happened. In the fall of 1968, 18-year-old Richard enrolls in American River College, which doesn't even sound real. (laughs) Sounds like a TV show college. (laughs) I go to American River U. (laughs) But But I swear it is real. It's a Sacramento community college. They do not boast about Richard as a notable alumni, though. Wonder why. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. During his time in college, Richard continues to make a few friends and do drugs. You know, good times in college. And in 1971, Richard moves out of his parents' house and into an apartment with some of his friends. Remember his friends? They like drugs and think he's sane. Yes. (laughs) Good job, friends. But that doesn't last long, obviously. If you're living with this guy, you're going to discover some stuff. Uh, So Richard's extremely strange behavior... Like, just walking around the house completely nude at all hours, even when company was present, and nailing his bedroom door shut while he was inside so that everyone would just leave him alone. Kind of disturbed his roommates. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, the roommates realized that they have made an enormous mistake. (laughs) Spoiler alert, nobody was bothering him and there was no reason to nail his door shut. And there's never any reason to parade around naked in front of company. No. I also heard on um, on a podcast that mm-hmm. he he started to nail his door shut because he actually started 
to distrust his roommates too because they had talked to him a few times and he started yeah. to think like, oh, they might be stealing from me. So he started to get weird and distant from them. He's definitely very paranoid and we'll see that come back mm-hmm. again and again and again. So that would make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Things continued to go south for Richard when he is arrested yet again for marijuana possession. And at that point, his roommates ask him to move out. Bad day for Rick. However, he wasn't about to take that lying down, and he flatly refused to move out. He was like, no, I'm staying. <laughs> Squatters' rights. <laughs> Squatters' rights. So to their credit, his roommates all were like, okay, then we're going to leave. Mm-hmm. And they all decided that they would move out and find themselves another place to live. Now, if you're just... I love this next part of the story. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll listen. I don't know if I have it. I, I, I'll add it if you don't, but there's a really fun part. <laughs> but like, if you're throwing away a security deposit and you're 21 years old, that's a bad situation. Oh, for sure. Can you imagine just losing your security deposit at that age? Yeah. Like he had to have been, that's how bad he was. Right. That they were like just forfeiting was. their money and their place to mm-hmm. live. Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen guys' apartments at that age and they are disgusting. <laughs> so He was said to be very slovenly too. He was yeah. quite like a gross mess. Mm-hmm. So I don't, what's your fact? What's your oh, next part? Well, so he gets new roommates after this. Oh, I don't have that in any of my versions. Yeah, really? This is great. So it's real. I'll just keep it real short. He gets these new roommates and he finds out that his roommates have a, are part of a band. So he starts to sit in with them and he keeps trying to find different objects to play in the band. And it's really annoying them. <laughs> I love that, but I haven't yeah. read that anywhere. Good yeah. find. <laughs> so they are also annoyed with him. He's like, cool. <laughs> can I sit in and play the wine glasses and a pickle yeah. jar? <laughs> yeah. He just like sits in. He's like, this is real fun guys. And they're like, God, <laughs> What a kooky friend. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I like that one. After his roommates left, Richard couldn't, obviously couldn't keep up with the rent. Like, how was he going to do that? And he was forced to move back in with his parents, who shortly after this divorced, leaving Richard with just his mother. But his father saw him frequently. He would go to his dad's house and like kind of divide his time, even though he was like way too old for that. Mm -hmm. They don't need a custody agreement when you're 21, but he still did it. His father saw him frequently, though, and and he was concerned with his developing behavior because it was at this time that Richard began to reveal his extraordinary hypochondria. Richard became convinced that his stomach was attached backwards. Oh. Uh, He said that the bones in his head were shifting. He even shaved his head at one point so he could feel them move, so he could, like, touch his head and feel his skull bones move. Oh, wow. He also claimed that he had grown new bones out of the back of his skull. Well, that's a feat. Yeah, so like a permanent rat tail or something. Fashion forward. Yeah, I don't know. He also said that his heart would just stop beating for periods of time. So he would just be like dead for a little while. Oh, weird. And then it would start again. He's like, yeah, my heart just would like for hours at a time just doesn't beat. Hmm. He also claimed that his blood was turning into powder. Oh, and that his mother was poisoning him. So there's that fun paranoia. Mm. But don't worry, his other behaviors haven't stopped either. His parents, however, were just, they attributed all of this to drug use. But there are just, there are no drugs that make a typical mind do any of that. But they were like, well, too too much LSD made him think he's growing bones in the back of his head. So 
that's how they chose to deal with it, I guess. It's nuts, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's just just being ill-informed, too, about drugs at the time. Um, And, I mean, it's their son, so... Yeah, you don't want to believe your kid is just, like, very, very ill. You'd rather have a scapegoat, like, drugs to blame it on. Mm -hmm. And it, it sounds like he goes up and down, too, so they might have... He there are days when he is very normal, but this is this is a period of time where he's kind of going downhill for quite yeah. a while. Once he hits his twenties, he's pretty much weird all the time. But when he was younger, yeah. I guess there were periods of time where he was passably typical. Mm-hmm. And none of his normal behavior is documented anywhere. It's not like oh he had a cool time with his friend Carol. Nope, <laughs> he right. never does that. So. And I know his dad just felt like he just needed to man up. I know that was something for his dad at for a period of time. He was just felt like my son just needs to stop doing drugs, start taking yeah. life more seriously. Maybe I didn't do as great of a job, like yeah, maybe getting you him didn't. to this point. Yeah. But that so, is such a product of the times as well. Absolutely. You're just expected to like ignore any kind of issues you have if you're a man and and like you said, man up, be that guy. Yep. Which is a lot of pressure if you're someone who has quite a bit of mental illness because you're not in control of that. So that's unfortunate. He's failed by the system in a lot of ways. He does horrible things, but the system also really does fail him. So in April of 1973, Richard went to a party with his friends. How does he still have friends? This is post-band, post-roommates. He still has friends. And while he was at this party, he inappropriately touched a girl and was subsequently asked to leave. So he like groped somebody real quick and they were like, you got to get out. On his way out the door, a 22 caliber handgun fell out of his pocket and oops, it was time to call the police. Oh, yeah. You can't like assault someone real quick and then also have a gun. Yeah. Richard was brought to jail and his father went and immediately bailed him out and told him that he was simply not going to go back and live with his mother. Richard's was simply, he was just too much for his parents. But instead of getting him help, his dad just got him an apartment. Yep. See, it's because he needs to just man up. And this really feels a lot like a reward. Absolutely, yeah. For questionable behavior. So that's another thing your brain could latch onto. He wasn't punished for it. Yeah. But like you said, yeah, his dad was probably like, live on your own, have an apartment. You can't be living with your mom forever and being this little boy. But he got his own apartment, and with an apartment all to himself, Richard could really unleash his unstable behavior. He began to say that all of his symptoms, which I have in quotes, were causing him intense physical pain. So he sought out numerous doctors who could find nothing physically wrong with him and sent him home. When you go to the doctor and you're like, the bones in the back of my head hurt, they're going to be like, you're fine. You don't, there's, that's not a real problem. So at one medical visit, Chase was, he was visited by a neurologist. Someone came in to consult, I guess, because it was like head bones or something. And the neurologist warned the other doctors that he believed Richard Chase had a major psychological disturbance, but they totally ignored that and just let him go. Same thing. Guy comes in and consults like, there's nothing physically wrong with him. His brain is fine. His skull is fine. But I think he has a lot of problems. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go home. Terrible. Mm-hmm. On, in April of 1973, Richard ran into the emergency room at American River, River Hospital. So they have a hospital and a college. Great. <laughs> and demanded to be seen because someone had stolen his pulmonary artery. 
What? What now? Yeah, he ran like ran into an emergency room, freaking the fuck out because someone stole his pulmonary artery, which guys like anybody with, I don't even want to say rudimentary medical knowledge. Anybody with any knowledge knows that that's completely not possible, but it will get you seen. (laughs) For sure. Because obviously that's not true. So Richard was admitted to the psychiatric ward where another doctor, another psychiatrist, diagnosed him as a paranoid schizophrenic, but thought he might actually be suffering from a drug-induced toxic psychosis. And this all sounds like it's heading in the right direction, right? That's All these things sound like, yeah, those are his problems. But his mother immediately checked him out and he went home. (sighs) So no further investigation into that occurred. Richard's parents, they just, they really wanted to believe that his problems were all drug related. Related, It was, you know, reefer madness and all that stuff. But after numerous professionals suggest otherwise, I really think you would try something different, don't you? Well, this is something that, um, so my mom works in the mental health field and Mm -hmm. she brings up even today that her clients are constantly talking about in their sessions that their families will actually tell people that they are drug addicts rather than telling them that their child has a mental illness because it's still looked down upon and they're embarrassed to have somebody in their family with a mental illness, whereas a drug addiction seems better, which is wild to me. Me too, because I think the exact opposite. Well, you you really care about your kids, but I mean, it sounds like they... Did, but they were just, it, it was also the time. I wonder right. if they lived now, if they would felt any differently because they would know a bit more about it, but. I don't know. You have more information on the, the state of mental health care then, yes? Yeah. Um, this is probably a good time for some of that. It feels like. So in like the 70s and 80s, there was a big push for deinstitutionalism. Mm-hmm. So that means the experts and the governments, they just felt that mentally ill and the developmentally disabled, uh, th- they shouldn't be kept in the psychiatric hospitals for as long as they were. So there was a big push to get them out. Um, one of those reasons most of the time, and because this also happens for medical reasons too in hospitals, but they want to get them out as fast as they can because that saves them money. Right. Um, and like whether insurance it's companies the government, now. Exactly. So it's whether it's insurance money or the government paying for you to be there, they just don't want to pay for you. Um, it was also a study done thinking that if we could integrate these people back into society and get them to feel more comfortable mm-hmm. that that would help their um their illness which sounds really great and it can yeah. be um but the problem is is that there aren't there are community based programs um and there's quite a few of them but there's just not enough and they're usually highly underfunded so they can't really give as much help as they want to to all of their patients. Mm -hmm. And they're also voluntary too. So that means if you were hospitalized for a mental disorder, um, you might be told about these programs, but you don't have to go. Um, That's tough. 
Yeah. So, and if you did go, if you were somebody that really knew there was something wrong with you and you wanted to keep getting help, you might go and then find that they aren't really set up to help you with your problem. And a lot of them aren't really set up to help with a problem that like Richard is going to have. Right. Um, Some of those people don't even really know about it. Like even today, they aren't really going to know or ever hear about his disorder, mostly because his disorder now would be something that would keep you hospitalized for <laughs> a while or incarcerated. Well, if you're a violent, paranoid, schizophrenic, mm-hmm. they're you're, they're going to want to get you at least some treatment. Exactly. Um, and then what? so what ends up happening too is once they are taken out of the hospitals, um, they will, if they have a hard time integrating back to society and if they aren't having help either from their families or from, or getting help from the community-based programs, Mm -hmm. they usually end up homeless. A lot of times it's because they probably get evicted from their apartments for being so like unclean and, or not being able to pay their bills. Trying to play Um, with their band. Trying to play with their band. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, and then a lot of times they end up back in prison, uh, where a lot of them actually like to go because it's a little bit more Stable. structured for them. Mm-hmm. So that is very interesting. And they can get their meds too when they're in prison. Sometimes they can't afford their meds when they're out of prison yeah. um, or when they're out of the hospital. So it's, it's very wonky. There's a lot that needs to be fixed. And I mean, we could spend like three hours talking about that. And we will visit this more in the mm-hmm. second half, but I felt like this was a very appropriate place to introduce a little of that before we get into more of it. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. For that information. So at this point in time, things seem to like outwardly die down for Richard. Like he doesn't have a lot of arrests or anything in the next couple of years from like 73, 74, 75. It's kind of like a dip in his activity but that's only outwardly inwardly okay. he's doing all kinds of crazy shit um inwardly richard was convinced that doctors just couldn't help him and he could only he was left now to cure his own pain so he went back to his former theories he figured his issues were caused by the fact that he simply didn't have enough blood you know it makes and sense if, if you're determined enough, blood is not that hard to come by. Oh, and you're not like discerning. You'll take any blood. He also thought that he had a vitamin C deficiency, but he just rubbed some oranges on his head real quick and that fixed that. That works. <laughs> yeah. You just rub an orange on your skull. <laughs> Fine. It seeps into the skin and then That's into what your he, bloodstream. And that is what he believed. To go. <laughs> it's just like an essential oil. Let's not encourage that. (laughs) (laughs) Leslie has some great orange oils for you guys. Yeah, they will not help with vitamin C deficiency. (laughs) (laughs) No, they smell nice though. They do. But back to the blood, which is Richard's main thing. Richard was now buying rabbits meant for medical research or pethood. So wherever he could, and like lots of rabbits. He wasn't buying like one. He was buying like a bunch which I feel would be worrisome behavior if you were like a pet shop owner and this guy kept coming yep. and be like, I need some more rabbits. But <laughs> I guess that they didn't care. I just love rabbits though. So I would probably be, you, uh, I'd probably be questioned as well. <laughs> They're very cute, but Richard wasn't buying them for either one of those reasons. He was buying them so that he could kill them and drink their blood. Mm. Right. But this, 
wasn't working. Just like killing them and then drinking blood directly out of the body wasn't enough. So he figured he probably also needed some of the minerals and things in their organs. Yeah. as Yeah. So that's helpful too. So he would uh, rip the animals apart with his bare hands and consume their innards and drink their blood, mm. which is obviously very healthy. Well, um, it is high in nutritional value and um, it can help fortify your diet with iron. Don't um, eat raw rabbits, you guys, because it's also not sanitary. <laughs> it's generally safe in small doses. <laughs> don't don't eat (laughs) rabbits you guys like you can order it in a restaurant don't buy a rabbit and just bite it (laughs) probably not the best idea unless you're Richard Trenton Chase but that also doesn't taste the best just like biting into a rabbit and eating it the fur got in the way um and it was time consuming so Richard thought a better idea would be to take the animal's blood their internal organs, and a little Coca-Cola and put them in a blender. Ooh, did that get all bubbly though? Probably. There was Coca-Cola in there and then he would just drink it. Mm. I think a good like shake mix would have been adamant for that. That would have been great. I think no organs or rabbit blood would have been good for that. Maybe, but (laughs) throw a little extra protein in there. He would have had like a full meal. Yup. If you're like a coyote or something. The new Beachbody diet. <laughs> Pet rabbit. Enjoy your shakeology with some rabbit blood. <laughs> and a little splash of Coca-Cola. Yeah. Is your iron low? <laughs> <laughs> this is also like not a myth or an exaggeration at all. Yeah. There is tons of physical evidence that this happened. So I'm not just like being loose with the story. It's true. But this still wasn't working to cure him. But never fear. Remember, Richard is a medical prodigy. And after all, he's figuring out all of this on his own. So Richard decides that his blood theory isn't working because uh, he needs to also inject some of the rabbit's blood directly into his own veins. Well, that's not good. But, uh, that's what you got to do. Um, So he does this and, of course, like immediately gets gravely ill with blood poisoning. <laughs> Makes sense. Because it's not a smart thing to do. And this arrives us in, um, to April 26th, 1976. Do you have some 76 facts for us? Uh, yeah, I do. So I talked a little bit about the mental health in the 70s. Um, but in 1976, the Apple Computer Company started. Cool. The Ramones released their first album. Yes. And the Supreme Court. Uh, ruled that the death penalty is not inherently cruel or unusual and is constitutionally acceptable form of punishment overturning the Furman versus Georgia case in 1972. That's going to come into play. Yep. Those are my facts. Interesting. All very good facts. On April 26th, 1976, Richard's father came by his apartment for a visit one afternoon. And when Richard Sr. arrives at his son's home, he is met with quite a sight. During his time alone, Richard Jr. has become increasingly slovenly and unhealthy. So I don't think his father had really been in his apartment much up until this point. Okay. Clearly, he is nonstop eating live rabbits. Um, and he is painfully thin and filthy, 
and surrounded by the remnants of his experiments, just like lying around on the floor. And he himself is on the floor, just very ill and in agony because he put rabbit blood in his veins. That'll do it. Sure will. So his father rushes him to American River Hospital once more. And once he's there, Richard readily confesses to everything he did. So he tells doctors, like, I've been eating live rabbits and that didn't work. So I ground them up and that didn't work. So I figured God had put some of their blood in my veins. But now I'm sick. He said, I, and then he told them that he believed that he was sick because somehow he must have inadvertently eaten battery acid. Oh. He doesn't mention where what? this battery acid would have come from or how he could have just mistakenly ingested a large enough quali- quantity of it, but he doesn't think it's it's from the rabbit blood. He thinks he must have eaten something funny. Right. Battery because acid. Because the, the blood is good, so that mm-hmm. wouldn't do anything negative. Right. And he, you know, he's ranting about how he was doing things to fix his issues that the doctors couldn't. And I just want to say right now that I'm not discrediting discrediting invisible illnesses at all, by the way. People have excruciating pains in their lives. And a lot of time that evades medical professionals, they have my utmost sympathy and respect. But that's just not what we're dealing with here. This time around, doctors can tell that something is profoundly wrong upstairs with Richard and they treat his blood poisoning first. But once he is... um, physically healthy, they refuse to release him because they strongly believe that Richard needs psychological treatment and may be a danger to himself and others. Hallelujah. The Finally. end. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Richard jumped out the window and escaped. Oh my God. Wait, did he? Yep. Oh my God. Yeah. He was in like a room, his hospital room and he felt physically healthy again. And they, they told him like, we have to confine you because clearly like you're ill in other ways and we need to evaluate you and and you need treatment. And when they left the room, he just jumped out of the window. Oh dear Lord. They found him real quick though. He didn't get very far. Um, and then as soon as they caught him, he was committed to a psychiatric institution. They diagnosed him again as a paranoid schizophrenic with somatic delusions, which sounds a lot more like it. This is where we needed to be from the start. While in the institution, the nurses quickly nicknamed him Dracula because of his fascination with blood. Twice, this is pretty clever, Richard caught a bird from his window, broke its neck, bit it, and drank its blood. Which, Jesus Christ, he must have been quick. He caught a bird out a window? Man. That's stealth. I... (laughs) I'm, just, I'm having so many images in my head. <laughs> yeah, this is a lot. So nurses would find him with blood around his mouth like a chocolate milk mustache. Oh, gross. Mm-hmm. Um, and some later psychologists would suspect that Richard also had a disorder called Renfield syndrome yep. um, or clinical vampirism, which uh, we're going to take a little break and let Leslie tell you all about. So clinical vampirism is uh, – that was founded like – Decades prior, um, people knew about that already or had already like coined that term. Wasn't it in like the 1890s that they started talking about it? Yeah. And that was around that. um, I think Bram Stoker's uh, book was like 1897. So, well, so bringing this in. But that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So they, so Renfield syndrome was coined by Philadelphia psychologist Richard Knoll in 1992, and he obviously named it after Bram Stoker's 
character, um, Renfield, Mm -hmm. who Dracula turns into a vampire. (laughs) So he has a lot of these symptoms. Right. Um, Renfield syndrome is a blood drinking compulsion. It's primary, primarily found in males, and it's a bloodlust that goes hand in hand with sex most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. Um, yeah, we'll get some there people, with them. Yeah, some people feel that um, they, they feel sexually empowered after drinking blood. They also feel stronger, like they have mystical powers. Um, mm. That's like going to keep them drinking it too because they feel like they're, if they felt sick before, now they feel better. They're like, oh, this was clearly working. Yeah, that's exactly, mm-hmm. that applies a lot here. <laughs> and no diagnosed patients with Renfields based on an early childhood experience where bleeding or tasting blood was somehow linked with feelings of excitement. After puberty, these feelings became associated with sexual arousal. And he said that Renfields progressed in three typical stages. So first it would start with autovampirism in childhood. That's where you would maybe, maybe you fell and bit your lip and you tasted your blood and you didn't have like an adverse reaction to it. That's um, like um, Nathaniel Barjona who started by eating scabs. Yes. What, that's his disgusting. own scabs. Like he would chew on his, like a scab and eat mm-hmm. it and he like developed a taste for blood. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, as a child, you would start doing it more and more. And then once that was no longer exciting, uh, you would move on to animals, which was Zuvasia. And then once animals weren't really fun anymore or really kicking it for you, that's when you would get into the last stage, which um, is like a modern day vampire where you would eat people. <laughs> Sounds or way sexier than it is. Blood. It <laughs> is, yeah. Um, I did read something, though, just so you know. So there is um, a lot of times it, it is associated with males and it can seem very violent. But this kind of condition or even just this, I don't know, I guess it would be like a, not a fantasy, but like what is it, like an erotic? A compulsion. Uh, yeah. Um, it. People just do this sometimes. There was a case where a female um, would have her boyfriend, like he, she wanted to taste his blood, like bite his arm or like cut a little piece so that when they were... Oh, yeah. There's episodes of like mm-hmm. My Strange Addiction where it's like a couple in Louisiana who drinks each other's blood. We have a lot. There are a lot of other cases of that. There are, yeah. So there's really small ones where it's not going to affect other people, but it's mm-hmm. still this... I don't know. It's it's crazy once you go down a rabbit hole, or no pun intended, but <laughs> to learn about like that there are people that really think they're vampires or it's gonna be real hard not to call yeah. this episode rabbit hole. I know. We might have to. <laughs> well, it makes me think of that show now, like what we do in the shadows is really I just three mentally ill people. Love that show more vampires. than any other show. I know. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah. So that's Renfield syndrome. (laughs) Well, that's a fun one. And there are also like other cases we'll cover that for sure incorporate that. Back to 1976. Richard was held in the institution for a few months, which is good, and treated with medication and therapy, double good, Mm -hmm. before being released into his mother's custody as doctors believed that, quote, he was no longer a danger to anyone, Mm. which is laughable. 
Well, because he was doing well. So that's now they're like, okay, he is stabilized and I'm doing air quotes. And so they're going to let him out of the hospital and because they don't want to pay for him anymore. Well, that's exactly like what you were just saying. They, Mm -hmm. they, after so much time, they're like, well, we've dealt with this long enough. He could just go home. It'll be fine. Now he's not our problem. Nothing left to treat. They -hmm. can't treat him. But to be fair to the institution at this point in time, they release him into his mother's custody. So legally his mother has to have like conservativeship or whatever it's called over. She's in charge of him for like a year and he's given prescriptions. Okay. They are relying on his mother basically to follow up on everything. But once he's home with his mother, she would immediately begin to wean Richard off all of his medication and take him back into an apartment of his own why take him off his meds? Mm. I hate this part because he had them. They were on board. They found something that was working to some extent for him. And she decided she didn't want him to take them. I guess because she thought they were more drugs or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's the it's that stigma, you know. She doesn't want her son to have a mental illness. Oh, I hate that because this could have been... You don't have to tell people he's taking this medication. Well, it's the same thing. I mean, you you know this with uh, people with depression. They take these drugs and then they're not depressed anymore. And so then they stop taking them. And mm-hmm. then they wonder why they're depressed or why they had a, you know, maybe a suicidal thought or mm-hmm. actually tried it, you know. Um, yeah. There's a reason why people are on these medicines and why they are better once they're on them. I just, they expressly would have told her like, okay, he's, he's managed, but he has to take his medicine. Okay. So it's just so crazy to me that she was like, no, he doesn't. Bye. Yeah. But I mean, it was a different time and, and that is what happened. And she got him his own apartment again, a brand new one. And this is just a gross error in judgment. But I guess, like we said, if she had been blaming drugs for everything this whole time, she wouldn't want him on anything. Yeah. Anyway, anyone's guess is as good as mine. After Richard was off all of his medications and set up in his own place, uh, we are now hitting 1977. And Richard's mother's court-ordered conservatorship, another word that I can't pronounce, added to the list, ended. So he was now legally responsible for himself. The cats still were not safe around him. In fact, his mother came to visit him one afternoon in this new apartment that she got him and found him disemboweling a cat and smearing its blood all over his face. Well, they make a good mask. I guess. <laughs> Just a little self care. <laughs> it's that vampire facial that Kim Kardashian yeah. likes so much. Yep. Uh, well, I'm certain she was horrified by this, but she did absolutely nothing about it. She didn't say a word. Can you imagine? You walk in and there's your adult son with an eviscerated cat smearing its insides all over his face and you just kind of back away slowly like that gif of Homer Simpson disappearing into a bush. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's all I see this whole time. Her like, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) No, I wish you guys could see Leslie right now. That was a good one. (laughs) It is at this point that his mother thinks that he probably earned a vacation in a car. (laughs) Good job, right? He He just needs to get out. Out and, you know, I don't know, get some actual vitamin D instead of from blood. Uh, (laughs) Again, this really sounds a hell of a lot like rewarding, frightening behavior. But what do I know? 
Richard's mother helped him plan and pay for a three-week trip to Washington, Washington State, and bought him a 1966 Ford Ranchero wagon from a man in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, which sounds like a jaunty location. Sure. After his vacation, Richard returned to his spanking new super free apartment because his mother was paying for it for him, where he began to adopt dogs and cats from the local SPCA, presumably to kill them and consume them. But that just wasn't enough. It was time to kick it up a notch. On August 3rd, 1977, police officers from the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which sounds like a not the right thing to call it, but that's what it was called then, so I'm just reading the words. Mm-hmm. We're patrolling near the Pyramid Lake Reservation, so this is like a Native American reservation, in Nevada, when, I don't know how he got to Nevada, but at this point, that's where he is, um, when they discovered a 1966 Ford Ranchero wagon seemingly stuck in the sand. These are cops that are just on their beat. They're just patrolling and they think someone got their car stuck and they go to see what's going on oh boy but boy they couldn't have been more wrong when they approached the car they were shocked by what they found inside the interior of the car was smeared all over with blood and inside it they found men's clothing a 22 caliber handgun a rifle and a white bucket containing a liver just a liver Assuming this was the scene of a homicide, police began to scan the area for who could have done such a thing, and they quickly noticed a man in the distance wandering around aimlessly, stark naked, and smeared all over with blood. Any guesses (laughs) as to who that was? (laughs) Anybody? so wild. I know. (laughs) You guessed it. Good old office meds Richard. (laughs) So he was arrested again because he gets arrested all the fucking time and taken into custody. But the liver was found by medical examiners to belong to a cow. They never found the cow. I know. I hate that part. And the U.S. attorneys, um, they didn't want to press charges because as far as they could tell, they said no one had been hurt. Except the cow. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe they could have pressed charges if somebody was missing a cow, but maybe nobody No, there was no missing a cow. cattle reported, and it wasn't like a per- people liver, which is what they initially thought. Yeah. <sighs> Justice for the cow. I know. Maybe that's in their, their rule book now. Maybe it's a law now maybe. that you can't just kill a cow and take its liver. But they, they were like, uh, we don't really have anything to charge him with. But again, my brain goes like, but he is clearly ill. Right. <laughs> He's wandering around totally naked on a reservation in a state that he doesn't live in, covered in blood and heavily armed. I feel like you Wild. could you could recommend something else. But no, they're like, eh, let him go. Yeah, give him like a business card somewhere or something. <laughs> right. So Richard returns home to his nice apartment that his mommy is paying for and resumes purchasing dogs from the ASPCA for $15 a piece. But nothing was satisfying the itch that he was feeling. Nothing was soothing this pain that he had. So he figured that animals were never going to help him. What he needed was a human. We knew we were getting there. So on December 2nd, 1977, Richard went out and got himself another gun. It was a 22 caliber handgun, which murderers just freaking love. Yeah. So many of them use a 22. I don't know. But unfortunately, um, I love this part is so crazy to me. He went to get this gun 
And they said, well, you can buy it, but we can't give it to you. So this is December 2nd until the 18th because we have to background check you. And you would think a background check would say, oh, no, 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 you can't have guns. But it was fine. (sighs) They said they didn't find anything alarming, you know, like multiple arrests and um, psychiatric institutionalization. Didn't put any alarm bells. Oh, I could say so much right now. <laughs> I know. Same. I this like I find this infuriating, but yeah. That's what happened. So yeah, basically they were just like, all good, sir. Here's your murder machine. And then, then it began. <laughs> if they've let you out, I'm sure it's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Because he became curious about what it might like to be to kill a person. Richard Chase decided that he would just start with someone completely at random. Cool. Now, Richard Chase is referred to as a disorganized killer. There is no method to his madness. He doesn't kill people based on what they look like or what they do or what they sound like or if he knew them in life. He just picks people. But this first one was just like, I just want to see what it's like to kill a person and if I can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so on December... 29th, 1977, Richard Chase drove his car down the road and randomly shot and killed a man named Ambrose Griffin. Ambrose Griffin was a 51-year-old engineer and the father of two sons. He had simply been standing outside of his car, talking to his neighbor and helping his wife unload groceries. Mrs. Griffin reported to uh, detectives in the emergency room that she was, you know, just bringing in bags Um, and that he had simply turned around and just dropped to the ground right in front of her, and she assumed he had a heart attack. Yeah. She heard popping sounds but did not associate them with anything at all. She lived in a safe neighborhood. Her 50-year-old husband just dropped. She was like, oh, no, he had a heart attack. Sadly, that was clearly not the truth. Her husband had been shot and killed in a random act of violence. One of Griffin's sons reported having seen a man with a rifle walking around their East Sacramento neighborhood, and the boys followed him and called the police, but his gun was not the twenty-two caliber murder weapon. At this point, they had determined that the bullets right. found in his head were belonged to a twenty-two. But who was this guy? Random guy with a gun? Wrong kind of gun? You're good? Bye. You can just stalk around neighborhoods with a rifle and be fine? Wild. I maybe, know. Well, maybe he just lived in a, another street and they didn't know him. And he was just walking around with a rifle? Where was this again? Sacramento like in a neighborhood. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like he was know. hunting in the woods. Yeah. Uh, that just is a part of the It's weird that sto- they saw that. Like, that it, it is. And this, this part of the story connected. is like so casual, but to me it's like that's very scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. But all right. The following day, um, a news crew found two spent shell casings on the pavement near the Griffin's house. Uh, and detectives followed up on reports of a suspicious car driving around the neighborhood, but they couldn't get a clear description. A routine police work turned up a report from a woman who had said that a shot had been randomly fired into her home on December 27th. My birthday. Nice. Not what I want to associate my birthday with, but still. Uh, the woman lived only a few blocks away from the Griffins and uh, the police would go to her house and in her kitchen, they would find a 22 caliber slug. So he just tried and failed with that house. He was just spraying bullets around. It proved to have been fired from the same gun that killed Ambrose Griffin. But at that point, all their leads dried up. That's when the break-ins begin, or rather invasions. We technically cannot call them break-ins as in true vampire fashion, Richard Chase believed he should never enter a house where he wasn't welcome. So if a house had locked doors, 
he moved on. But if the doors were open, he took this as a sign that he was free to enter. Adds up. Such a weird vampire thing to do. I know. (laughs) I wonder if he has weird about his reflection. That would be great. Maybe. He just put some glitter on himself once in a while. He's so sparkly. Yeah. (laughs) We always come back to Twilight. I know. And I haven't even read any of the Twilight books. So I learned, uh, I, I don't know. Oh, it was in Lost Boys. And whenever I they do turned, like Lost Boys, whenever they turned into vampires, they would, I, I guess it was them having maybe like a sweaty look, but mm-hmm. it was actually glitter that they put on them to <gasps> listen and look like they were sweating. I, I think it was to do the sweat, but I just thought it was hilarious that they actually used glitter. So that's really funny. wasn't far off. <laughs> That's so funny. All vampires are glittery. You heard it here first. Yep. (laughs) On January 11th, 1978, Richard's neighbor, Don Larson, reported having an odd encounter with him. During the six months that they had been neighbors in the same East East Sacramento apartment complex on Watt Avenue, she had seen him carry three animals into his apartment. I think they were dogs. It says animals, but I'm pretty sure they were dogs. Where it was completely against the rules to have pets so he's like trucking in animals and she's like wait a minute we can't have pets um and she never saw those animals again once richard asked her for a cigarette and she gave him one but once she gave it to him he stopped her from walking away and some reports say he physically restrained her like he just grabbed her for no reason so she handed him the rest of the pack of cigarettes and he let her go how she figured out that that was her key to freedom i will never know Well, it's probably just that's all she had. Just give him something. (laughs) Yeah. Here you go. I don't know, but it worked. So good for Don Larson. Because nearly two weeks later on January 23rd at 2909 Bernice Street, Gene Layton noticed a slovenly looking young man. And everyone describes him as like sloppy and greasy. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times they say he's also wearing, like at one point he starts wearing a bright orange parka, which is super noticeable. So uh, this this shows how unaware he is that he's very noticeable to people. Um, So she notices this guy walking towards her. So she watches him try to enter her patio door. And it's unclear as to where she is in this whole thing, but she ends up in her house. She might have just started on the front lawn and then gone inside. But he he tries to go through her patio door and he finds it locked. Then he tries the windows and they're locked. Then he tries the back door, which I guess they had two separate back doors, where Mrs. Layton was waiting for him. So he tries to open the back door. It doesn't open, I guess through a window. He Mm -hmm. sees her. This to me, this image is terrifying. Yeah. You're standing on one side of like a pane of glass and this like clearly dead-eyed, deranged guy is trying to come into your house. That is my worst nightmare. Absolutely. As I sit next to my glass French doors. Who not French doors, sliding glass. Worst. Ugh. So he looks at her dead in the eyes, like makes eye contact. His eyes are totally hollow and emotionless. Lights a cigarette and walks away. That is some Michael Myers shit right there. Yeah. They don't say anything. Nope. They don't exchange any words. She's just standing there. He tries the door and then looks up, makes eye contact with her. No emotion. Pulls out a cigarette, lights it, and then just walks away. Nope. Yeah. Oh, that is haunting. That is a 
haunting image. Nope. I mean, it gets so much worse, but that is just, that sticks with you. Um, Down the street, Robert and Barbara Edwards were bringing their groceries into the house when they heard a noise from inside their home. Also terrifying concept. You get home, take a bag of groceries out, and you hear noises inside your house. No, thank you. Uh, Whoever was in there apparently had heard them pull up and started to run. They heard a window slam in the back of their house, and then an, again, oddly disheveled young man came around the corner towards them. So he just walks out of their backyard and walks toward them. And um, so... Robert Edwards tries to stop him, but he shoves past his, but Richard shoves past him and runs into the street. Robert Edwards chases him until Richard hops a fence and then he can't like, he loses sight lines on him. So I also, I heard a piece on this. He actually, he speaks to Edward and so Richard, yeah, Richard says, he tries to come up with an excuse like, oh, I was just trying to take a shortcut and he just like runs off. But it's like obviously clear that he was like stealing from them or not stealing, but at least rummaging through shit. Yeah. (laughs) So the police arrive, obviously you're going to call the cops after that. That's funny that he just tried to justify his behavior. He's like, don't worry about it, man. Just taking a shortcut. (laughs) That kills (laughs) some of his insanity defense, which we'll get to later. Um, Like things like that, like Mm -hmm. just knowing that you need to make an excuse. Anyway, we'll get back to that. But the police arrived at the Edwards house and they found the inside of their house was completely turned upside down. Like it was a horrible mess. And they suspected because of this, that this is the work of a petty thief trying to steal their valuables. However, they also noticed that he had urinated into a drawer of baby clothing and defecated on their child's bed. Yeah. So gross. So he went into their house to pull all their shit out and then take a shit on their kid's bed. When you gotta go, you gotta go. I mean, not in the bathroom that the house surely had. Yeah. On the kid's bed. Lord. That's a power move. I'm going to shit right on your kid's bed. Yeah. I mean, it would it would be just as disturbing, though, to just walk into your bathroom and see, like, a shit in the toilet. <laughs> That's like, um, oh, God, Amanda Knox. Oh, yeah. That happens in that case. Like, there's just yeah. a shit in the, in the toilet in the apartment. Yeah. <laughs> that is unsettling i'd be like wait Mm -hmm. a minute (laughs) (laughs) on january 23rd um 1978 richard encounters Teresa wallen she is 22 three months pregnant and her door was open so he's allowed to come in okay so this is where it gets real 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 bad from here on out it's super gross so be advised just letting you know giving you a little bit of a warning before i get into it Okay. Before entering, and this is very curious, Richard puts a 22 caliber bullet into her mailbox. An unused one. He's just like, oh, here you go. There's never any explanation for that. I think that that sounds more like, like a calling card. It does, but he never does it again. Oh. It's just Well, maybe he- just because he knows that they, the police are looking for somebody with that kind of gun. Because wasn't this was in the newspapers at this point. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. like all the invasions and stuff had been, and mm-hmm. the and he and he would buy those newspapers. He was like big on that. Yeah, he also really likes the Boston Strangler. Mm-hmm. He collected all the newspaper clippings and stories on the Boston. I believe it was the Boston Strangler. I don't have it. I don't have that one thing written down. I will come back to that for you guys. Okay, next time. There was like one of them that he was really, really into, and he collected like all of their clippings and kept them. So after he puts a bullet in her mailbox for no reason, 
he opens her unlocked front door and ran right into Terry as she was had like the trash bag and she was walking to take the garbage out to the curb. She dropped the bag and he raised his gun and shot her twice. Once in the palm because she held up her hand defensively um, and it traveled up her arm and exited through her elbow, nicking her neck, and the other went through the top part of her skull. Mm. She fell and then Richard Chase knelt over her once she was on the floor and just fired another bullet into her temple execution style. That is not even remotely close to the worst part of the story. Mm-mm. His next move was to drag her into a bedroom, leaving a trail of blood behind. Because if you shoot somebody that many times, there's going to be drag marks. He then retrieves a knife from the kitchen and an empty yogurt container from the trash bag that Terry had been carrying. Uh, so when David Wallen comes home that night at six, he finds the house dark. He enters and sees their dog, a German shepherd, waiting inside but his wife was nowhere to be found and the stereo was on full blast. A bag of trash and what appeared to be oil stains on the carpet tip him off that something is not right inside their house. So he follows the stains, which are clearly the drag marks, into the bedroom and begins to scream. His wife lay just inside the door on her back. Her sweater was pulled up and her breasts were exposed. Her pants and underwear were down around her ankle, ankles Her knees were splayed open in like a sexual kind of position. Mm -hmm. She had obviously been assaulted. Her left nipple was carved off because they all take nipples. Why? What the hell? I don't know. But so many of them are like, I'm just going to take this nipple real quick. I don't know. Her torso was cut open below the sternum and her spleen and intestines had been pulled out. Chase had stabbed her repeatedly in the lungs, liver, and diaphragm, also her left breast. He had also cut out her kidneys and severed her pancreas in two. He then placed her kidneys back together inside her. There was blood in the bathroom, and it was later learned that he had smeared her blood all over himself as well. He used the discarded yogurt container near the body to scoop blood out of it and drink it. And they can tell this because not only was the yogurt container bloody, but there were like rings like you'd get on Mm -hmm. a coffee table from a cup in blood the size of the yogurt container's bottom all around where he had clearly set it down and filled it up and stuff. Uh, I think they also found bucket rings around the body as though he had been collecting blood in a bucket as well. So that's awful. Was she, did you also find in your research that she was sexually assaulted by the knife? Uh, That's the other one. Okay. Oh, I thought that was her. No, it it appears that she was sexually assaulted by other stuff though. Um, also like the worst part of this was that before he left, he put, he went in the backyard and got dog feces and put it in her mouth. Oh yeah. Uh Uh-huh. There, there's just no reason for that in his delusional plan. Like the stuff that he's doing. I'm sure it made sense to him, but. Well, the stuff that he's doing so far is fitting in with what what he's done with animals he's yeah you know eviscerated them and consumed parts of them and drank their blood and if he sexually assaulted her that means that now he can get an erection which would be the first time that happened in his life mhm so he probably believes that it's working pretty well yeah but the um the dog shit thing i, I don't know how to reconcile that one 
most uh, serial killers have a cooling off period where they kind of enjoy the crime they have committed and relive it in their head for a while until that isn't enough anymore and they have to go and do it again. But not Richard. Richard is what they call a, like a results killer. He doesn't he doesn't enjoy the act of killing. Like there are some serial killers which will, they'll say things like they really enjoyed watching the light go out of people's eyes. Mm-hmm. That's not his thing. He wants the body. He wants the parts, the blood, the stuff. I don't know. He enjoys what he gets from killing. And now he's discovered that his results make him sexually viable. So there's like no stopping him. Right. Well, now he's becoming healthier. Right. It's working. His treatment is working. Exactly. Mm -hmm. A couple days after this happened, um, a puppy is found dead and mutilated not far from the Wallen home. Mm -hmm. I know I hate that part. I hate all of it. Let me just be clear. I'm not sadder (laughs) because of the dog than the people, but everybody's sad about puppies. Don't lie. (laughs) Puppy. I know. A family nearby reported that a strange disheveled man with stringy hair, same description, every time, had purchased the puppy and they found it curious that he just like didn't care which puppy he got because they had like a litter of puppies and they're like, oh, you want a boy or a girl? Which one do you like? And he's like, I don't give a shit. Just give me a puppy. I would not have given him a puppy. No. But they did. And he took it home. Again, he's a results killer, so he would not care which one he got. On January 27th, 1978, Evelyn Maroth, who was 38 years old, was babysitting her 20-month-old nephew in her home one mile from the Wallen residence. Her 51-year-old friend, Dan Meredith, had come over. Evelyn was about to send her son... Jason to a friend's house. And when Jason failed to arrive, the friend sent her daughter over to check on what the situation. The little girl saw that there was like movement happening inside from the front window and then turned around to report that no one had answered the door. So neighbors got worried and one of them finally entered the house and saw what had happened. So a neighbor discovered her. Mm-hmm. Danny Meredith, the, um, the, guy, the older guy had lay in, in the hallway in a pool of blood. The deputy who checked him saw a gunshot wound on his head and then saw blood in the bathroom and what looks like bloody um, water in the bathtub. And you can see a picture of this online. It just looks like a bathtub full of blood. Mm. Then he found Evelyn lying naked on the bed in her bedroom. Same thing, legs splayed open. She had a gunshot wound to her head and her abdomen had been cut open and her intestines pulled out. Two carving knives stained red lay, lay nearby. It appeared that she had been taking a bath when he jumped into the the bathroom and killed her. So he, he would have shot her while she was bathing in the tub and then dragged her out of the bed. He sodomized her, stabbed, and this is the one that he stabbed her through the anus and into her uterus at least six times. Ew. Yeah, I know. And made several slices across her neck and tried to cut out one of her eyes, but he couldn't do it bloody like drops and ringlets on the carpet indicated that he had once again used some kind of container to collect the blood so there was more of those like coffee table rings Mm -hmm. he stabbed several of her internal organs as well which the coroner would later note that would facilitate him getting at blood inside of her abdomen okay so inside and and she was found with um a large amount of semen inside her as well so it was obvious that she had been repeatedly assaulted that way large amount he's getting better now oh what a fucker i know 
On the other side of the bed, police officers discovered the body of a boy who turned out to be Jason, the six-year-old. He had been shot twice in the head at close range. The intruder had left bloody footprints behind, which resembled the shoe marks found in the Wallen house. They then located um, the 11-year-old girl in the neighborhood who saw like people moving inside the house and described a man near the victim's residence at around 11 o'clock. She described him in his early 20s, and he fit the description of a man seen repeatedly in that area walking around and asking people for magazines. Oh, that's he was asking people for the magazines or the newspaper clippings from his killings. He, oh. wanted, he was collecting a whole bunch. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he was also trying, I think he was um, maybe deciding where he wanted to break into next as well. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. So um, remember, she was also babysitting her 21-month-old nephew. Dan's, Dan Meredith's red station wagon was found missing from the front of the house where neighbors had seen it parked that morning. Um, and then another neighbor arrived, or another, sorry, then Karen... Ferreira arrived seeking the whereabouts of her son, David, who she had left with her sister-in-law, Evelyn, that morning. But the missing baby was nowhere to be found. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So they found they found everybody else, but the baby is gone. Um, there are some reports that say that they looked in the crib and found a bullet hole, but I only read that in one location, so don't quote me on it. Okay. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't hear that anywhere yeah, else. Yeah, see, I only read that at one source. I was like, this feels dramatically staged because I think they would have known. Because after this happens, which we'll get to in the next part, because we're leaving you on a cliffhanger. Where's um, the baby? Yeah, where's the baby? But um, later, this will prove to be like what really pushes the police forward because they feel they're looking for a living baby. He's not there. And in all of this person's other crimes, people have, everybody that's been there has been killed. Right. So they're like, Where, we have to find the baby. And that's what gave this, like, the push that it needed to move forward quickly. But yeah. we will get to that next week. Everybody Holy. take a breath. <sighs> I know. I took I, a couple. <laughs> I confess that I um, used some of the descriptions used elsewhere for these crimes because I had a really hard time putting them in my own words. Yeah. Because it's really... Well, I mean, not- how much do you change them? You know, it's just, this is what happened. That was the thing. I was like, I, I can dress this up all I want, but it's going to always be the same thing. And I found it very difficult to like create my own version of it. And I, so um, you get some descriptions that are used in newspapers and murderpedia articles and stuff. Yeah. so that's uh yeah that's i would say the worst of it but there's still some yeah some stuff to come uh and we will talk about um his trial and capture and all of the stuff that goes along with his illness Mm -hmm. in our next episode oh exciting um before we go we should toast our patrons yeah. Yay. I'm so excited. So we have four new patrons Yay! this week. Very exciting. Uh, we have Heidi, not from book club. Heidi Dugan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we can Jason. say your last name now that you're a patron. Oh, great. <laughs> Jason D. Smith. <laughs> Middle initial for Jason yes. Smith. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> Thank you, Heidi. 
Um, I forget her last name. I, we can look it up. Michaela. Michaela Simon. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Michaela. And Jessica Fermento. Mm-hmm. Thank right? you, Jess. Yeah. Thanks, guys and girls. So exciting. Yeah. You are the best people in the whole universe, and we love you so much. And hopefully, hopefully we will have some um, extra content coming your way soon. Be on the lookout for our fun, um, fun little game we're playing in the Facebook group, too. Yes. And um, I think and we'll be back on, we'll probably, so this will come out on Tuesday. So mm-hmm. I would say maybe Thursday we'll have another episode. That yeah. way you guys can listen to the follow-up episode, um, yeah. part two. And then we'll have campfires again on Friday. Yes. So that sounds perfect. And the second installment will probably be a little shorter because it's just wrap up. So, yeah. All right. So we're not going to toast anybody but our our fantastic patrons this week because um, we have more to go on this case. And we're not going to sign off because we're not done. Yeah. So um, So, have a good night. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. We would be dead. I can't do it. I don't know. <laughs>